Welcome to season three of Sadie's Divorced and Happy Podcast, where I talk about life after divorce with a playful, fresh, out-of-the-box perspective. Every episode includes burning questions, spicy conversations, and tips to happiness. Are you ready to turn your setback into a comeback? Then join me on today's episode. It's time to get started on your new beginning. It's Wednesday already. Can you believe it? And I am having so much fun with you this season. We're talking about the comeback after divorce. And today is going to be such a great episode. Okay, I have burning questions already. Do you struggle with any of the following? How about the need to be perfect? Procrastination? Maybe the need to always have the answer or, you know, that constant feeling like you're not enough. Such an exhausting feeling, isn't it? Maybe you're someone who just doesn't start things that you really want to start because because you're too afraid of failure. Well, I've been there, and so has today's guest, recovering good girl, top divorce attorney, and award-winning podcast host of the Divorce and Beyond podcast, Susan Guthrie. I discovered Susan about a year ago on Instagram, and I'm going to admit that I found her Instagram page a little intimidating because it is perfect perfect. And mine is so not. And not only does Susan have a stunning Instagram page, she's also been featured on CNBC, Market Watch, Forbes, Ion Chicago, WGN, Thrive Global, The Nook Online, and Authority Magazine. Okay, after listening to that incredibly impressive bio, you can maybe appreciate why I was a little bit, just a little bit scared of Susan, but you know, also intrigued at the same time, which is the perfect combination. And I'm so glad I had that curiosity because Getting to know Susan beyond her pristine Instagram platform has been such a treat. She's actually a real person like you and me. I know. She's made mistakes. She's gotten on her own nerves. She's gotten in her own way like the rest of us. And today she's going to open up with you and she is going to discuss the power of vulnerability after divorce and how getting over yourself i.e. your need for perfectionism and control and other self-sabotaging behaviors leads to a much, much, much happier life. That's right. Today is going to be one of those keep it real comeback conversations, just how I like it. So let's start things off with some burning questions. Burning questions. Let's turn up the heat for 60 seconds. Well, I am excited to turn up the heat with boss lady, Susan Guthrie. How are you today, Susan, in the Windy City? I am feeling good. I have to tell you, I'm a little little nervous about the being on the hot seat here. <laughs> well, these questions have been tailored just for you. I had fun writing them. I was smiling to myself when I was writing them. So 60 seconds is on the clock. Are you ready? All set. Here we good go. go. Do you have a favorite courtroom drama? Boston Legal. What do people assume about divorce attorneys that is just not true? That we're mean. What is the one thing that you failed miserably at? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Literally nothing coming to mind. That does not mean I'm I'm perfect at things. Let me point it out. That's why I'm sort of incredulous that I can't think of something. Maybe it's just that there are so many things. Oh, just so Uh, many. I'm sure. Just so many. (laughs) As a leading dispute resolution professional, do you ever have to blow a whistle? Oh, God, yes. Or hit mute. How about do you have to do a body slam? I, since I work completely online, I've never had to get physical with my clients, but gosh, I love that mute button. Fantastic. What would you advise to someone in law school? Don't. (laughs) 
What is something you recently started to do that maybe 10 years ago you would have talked yourself out of it? Taking naps. Ooh, I like that. What is your favorite topic to talk about on your podcast, the Divorce and Beyond podcast? I like to talk about the beyond more than the divorce. Yes. What is something that makes you feel spicy and delicious, Susan Guthrie? Being outside in the sunshine. If you could give one piece of million-dollar advice to the listener around life after divorce, what would it be? It's an opportunity to be anything you want it to be. Take advantage of it. Did you ever want to tell a client, get over yourself? Oh my God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) One or two or 50. Just once, maybe twice in 32 years. Well, that was fun for me. How was that for you? That was, that was fun. That wasn't as bad as I thought. I still, I, I, I'm nervous about the, I couldn't think of something I failed at because I'm, it's going to, we're going to finish this episode. Well, we're going to get there. A million things. Yeah, okay. we're going to get there. We're going to get there. That was a good setup, Susan Guthrie. Thank you for that organic setup for me today. So we have a divorce attorney on the podcast today and we're not even really going to talk about divorce. Go figure. Yeah. We're actually going to discuss the idea of getting over ourselves so that we can get out of our way and onto a more fulfilling life, which always sounds delicious. Right, Susan? It does. It does. And that's that beyond, beyond whatever it is, beyond yourself. You know, I think it's just so easy to look at others. And I'm sure as a divorce attorney, it's so easy to look at people going through the divorce process, which I uh, found one of the most humbling and daunting and maddening experiences of my life, but I, you know, I'm sure it's just so easy to see how others are getting in their way and causing themselves a lot of pain that they could avoid. They would just stop getting in their way. But how have you in your life as a top divorce attorney, how have you gotten in your way? Oh gosh, so many ways do I get in my own way. The first thing that pops into my mind out of what I'm sure is a long list is that belief that I have to be perfect, that I have to always know the answer um, and that and that I do. Maybe that's more it, right? Like there, that concept of, well, gosh, I know the answer for everyone and everyone should just listen to me. I call it lawyer-itis. Lawyer-itis, nice. When did you, when did you get your lawyer-itis? How far along <laughs> into your career were you? I think that's what the three years of law school are really all about. They can't in any way teach you in three years all the law there is to know. So what do they teach you? They teach you to think you have the answer to everything. And that's lawyeritis. You know, they teach you to think like a lawyer is what they call it. It's really thinking that you have the answers and the advice that everybody needs to hear. Prior to law school, did you feel that way? Did you feel like you had all the answers or were you constantly searching for that? You know, I would say more. I grew up in a household with a pretty traditional paradigm of a pretty dominant dad and a family that sort of gravitated around dominant dad. So I didn't get to make a lot of choices for myself. A lot of the choices were made for me as I went along. And so what I was socialized and raised to do was to be good and to live up to what the expectations of me were. And what were those Um, expectations? I mean, it would depend on who you were talking to, but if it were my dad, who again, the prominent voice in the whole thing would be, you know, to be good, but quiet, 
Um, I was not the quietest of people. I'm still not the quietest of people. I've learned um, that about you. I like that spicy side. <laughs> yeah. Those Instagram posts. I'm like, ooh, Susan. Listen, yeah, follow her. Me, She's spicy. I, I like to pop out with things every once in a while, but it took me a good 50 years to get there, right? Because I grew up not necessarily being applauded for my opinion or for being applauded for wanting to do things my own way. It that took that took me quite some time, actually. So Susan Guthrie, the top divorce attorney with her lawyer-itis, what were you presenting? What was your presentation? I mean, we all have a presentation. Sadie Marie, I have a presentation. What was yours during that time in your life? I know you're retired now. I I still technically am an attorney. I just don't take clients right now. But yes, you know, I would say it was to be that, right? That perfect, I have it all together and I do have the answers for you. Because frankly, in the world that I operated in as a divorce attorney, clients are not coming to you for your imperfections. They're coming to you for a feeling of safety and security and that you're going to have the answers and you're going to be able to hold their hand. So, you know, that is the image you need to put out there. Right. You're not exerting a lot of vulnerability. No, so how did they that, don't want to hear. No. How did that seep into your personal life though? Well, and that's a great point, right? You have, is there that ability to take that you know, I called it the armor, you know, mm-hmm. it was my little, my little suit with the, what do they call it? The pussy bow on the, you know, the, uh, you know, that whole look and then drop that when I came home. But, uh, you know, technically I didn't necessarily drop it. I would come home and expect that in my world at home, I would still be the person in charge and the person telling people what to do and that my advice was, you know, every, everything anyone could possibly want. And how did that lead to, to your happiness? Or unhappiness? Well, you know, yeah. you, you get to answer. Yeah, well, I would say when you are in a relationship, at least, or in a family construct or unit, that is not necessarily a way to find a happy partnership, a, a happy, healthy life. And it's when I was able to learn to leave the perfection or that illusion of that in the office where it needed to be there for my clients and come back home and be my vulnerable screw up self that you actually start to live, right? You, you have to be able to feel secure enough to not be perfect in order to really thrive and, and be in a real relationship and a real family. And I know you and I have had this conversation before this episode today, but I was raised as a minister's daughter in a small town. So I too had a lot put upon me about the presentation. It's all in the presentation, just stick to the story. Yes. And, and that really causes you to not really know who you really are if you're always sticking to this presentation and then how we judge others based on their presentation. And and I know when I first found you on Instagram, I mean, you, you know, every, everything you put out is like perfectly matching. You have this happy marriage and you're like, oh my God, this woman's like, you know, what we assume about others, right? You're the picture of success. You're Susan Guthrie. And yet you have shared that you, like most of us have struggled with this feeling of not enoughness. What do you think that that's, stems from? Like, what's the root of that for your story? And I could explain it for mine, but I'm talking uh, to you today and I want to know, what would you say? We become so intolerant of other people's and our own but, you know, and I think maybe that's where it stems from our own imperfections, um, because we feel we feel 
uh, that we won't be valued enough. It's funny. I did an, an episode with um, Vasya Sarantopoulou recently on my podcast, and it was all about perfectionism. And I have to tell you, when she sent me the uh, proposal for the episode and I saw that was the topic, it was like ding, 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 ding for me. Because not only have I recognized it over the years in myself, but I now see it in people I'm close to, in my family, among my friends. And I see the harm that it causes because it makes us afraid to allow our imperfections to come out. And it makes us feel that we have to put up that false facade, right? You know, of this perfect life and perfect career and perfection, you know, much like you grew up in a minister's family. I grew up in a family with a very high powered executive father, but who had a drinking problem, Mm -hmm. right? So we had this Mm -hmm. undercurrent of vast imperfection, but we had to layer it over this, you know, this outward picture of the perfect family, the Brady, I grew up in the Brady Bunch era, right? You know, I'm older than most of your, your, you and, and most of maybe of your listeners. Oh, but, I remember the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm a 70s child. How could there I you go. Okay, know then, the Brady then, Bunch? And, and, you know, everybody thought the world or, or thinks the world has to look like that. And so this whole perfectionism concept is, you know, frankly, it's impossible. So we're setting ourselves up to fail. And it, it was something that for me, just constantly, it would drive me to bouts of dealing with depression. Uh, as I said, my father drank, um, you know, had an alcohol issue. I probably had times in my life where, imp- you know, not being able to be perfect um, would be something that would lead me to numb out in different ways, whether it be alcohol or exercising too much or whatever those things might be, right? You know, we all find our our outlets and and it leads you to just not living in, in a way that's authentic and and you just keep more of that crap on top of yourself every time you're afraid to let some of that imperfection out, right? Like for me, it's even oh, hard I to talk about having agree. a dad, yeah having a dad who drank too much, having times in my life where I drank too much or did those things. It's hard to talk about. We don't want people to know those that we've had those times in our lives where we haven't lived up to that outward perfection and picture. And what do you, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. And I know that I have definitely struggled with that in my life. And I still, like, even if I get maybe some feedback, some critical feedback, it can still sting because that good girl in me wants to be so perfect. I, and I think ultimately what that stems from for me is that, that again, that theme of not enoughness. If you, if you criticize me, then you're really saying I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, then am I going to be lovable? Will you still want me? Will you still think that I'm worthy of your time? I mean, I think it just, it stems from so much that goes way, way back. But we can't change that. You can't change that your dad had a drinking problem. You can't, you know, I can't change that I was raised by a mother who had a dad who had a drinking problem, hence her perfectionism. That's how she coped. So what we can change is ourselves. And I think a starting place, which is why I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you in my season three, where the theme is about coming back to ourselves is that we can be honest with ourselves and through that honesty we can connect with others who are ready to be honest too and then you don't feel so alone with your imperfections in fact they almost start feeling empowering. It's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I screw up all the time. I I mean, so good because it's exactly that, right? The minute you allow your imperfections out, you find out everybody else 
is also imperfect. And so suddenly you go from being alone in perfectionism, which doesn't really exist. And you feel like an imposter, you know, because you, you're putting out perfection, but you aren't, and you very well know it to finding out that in your vulnerability of being imperfect, you just join the rest of the world. And you gave everyone a hand across the divide to bond with you or to, to, to find that commonality of imperfection that we all actually share. I agree. I, I want to add a layer and I know you're married, but is your husband a recovering perfectionist or is he a recovering procrastinator? Because one thing that I've observed is sometimes we perfectionists are attracted to procrastinators and vice versa. And then we end up getting really frustrated with each other. Does this resonate with you? Because my ex was a procrastinator and I'd be like, oh, just do it. Just get it done. Ah! You know, and then the perfectionist in me is like, I can do it for you, which never a good idea, sidebar, Susan. But I'm just curious yeah. in partnership, have you, how has that worked out in your marriage? Your recovering a, good girl, recovering perfectionist. It's such a good question. And I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. And I have to say, you know, my, my husband, definitely not a procrastinator. My husband's like persona or his, and it's, and it's part of him is he gets things done. Like it is his superpower, like something that I would look at as a complete obstacle to achieving something is a puzzle to him sure. to be surmounted, right? A, a, or to be figured out. And he sounds you like know, an I, engineer. Is he an engineer? He's in finance. Okay. So okay. Numbers, numbers are his sure. jam. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Him. And, and, and those are not my, that's not my jam at <laughs> not all. Not my jam right? either, yeah. No, Far I mean, from, right? Yeah, it, I actually find it amusing that I'm the one who takes care of our household finances because like spreadsheets give me the heebie-jeebies. But he's, you know, I, I would say I'm married both times. I will say I've been married twice. So both of my husbands have been these like ultimate overachievers, but that's where their similarities kind of end. But my current husband is a very evolved guy. Like he is a guy who's put the time into figuring things out. And we met later in life. He was just turning 40. I was 36 or so. And one of the things he absolutely insisted on in our relationship, which I found so incredibly difficult, was honesty. And not so my way of dealing with things was I'm fine. Everything's sure. fine. It's all fine. No, don't worry about it. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And he's like, bullshit. Right. There's clearly something wrong. And if you don't tell me what it is, we're not in a real relationship. And so he pushed me. Um to the point now where he probably gets way more realness than he ever wanted in the beginning. <laughs> it's like, 20 years down the road. You can dial that down a bit, Susan. I'm good. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's incredible that he had that need. I'm going to call it a need for honesty because yeah. a lot of people don't even know they need honesty to have a healthy relationship until they're not having it. And then they're stuck in their yeah. challenges. I didn't have a lot of honesty in my marriage and I'm going to own that's partly my fault. You know, I, like you, I chose to not share what I really needed. I didn't even really know what I needed in my marriage. Was your first marriage like that? Were you just a hundred percent because you didn't Married. know it for yourself. So how can you, well, and I was measuring it against what the world called a successful, like we were picture perfect, right? We I had have no doubt that I have no doubt. Stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Christmas card. Yeah, I always got compliments on my family Christmas card. I am a photographer, exactly. so I had a little ego involved beyond just needing that. My perfectionistic personality needing that. Yeah, and and all the stuff, and you know that all the things, having all the things, right but not a very happy relationship, not, and certainly not a very real relationship. And I love what you just said about owning it. You know, I have to own in that first relationship in that first marriage. I, I, I was part, you know, I married the picture, not the person. And then you realize, you know, and it didn't, it took five years and we're both miserable in that relationship. And, but, but I, I got out of the relationship and still had this ability in my mind to make it all his fault. Right. So everything that I say to people today and all my posts or my podcast episodes or whatever about don't be a victim, recognize your own part and everything that's hard earned on my own and learned on my own part, because I spent a couple of years going, Oh, he was an asshole and it's all his fault. Not at all. I was an asshole and it was partially my fault. I think we all have a tipping point in our lives. For me, my divorce was a tipping point. It was an opportunity. Either I'm going to get honest with myself and therefore honest with people in my life, or I'm going to keep on this trajectory and keep repeating what I've been doing for the past 46 years, which clearly wasn't leading to my happiness. So was, so your first divorce wasn't your tipping point, what I'm hearing. So what was your tipping point when you're like, oh my God, I, I am so over myself. Yeah. That's a great question again. And I would, you know, now as I'm thinking about it, it would be meeting my current husband and, and getting into probably what I would call the first real relationship of my life. Right. Mm. I've, I've been a serial girlfriend or, you know, always in a monogamous relationship. I break up with one boyfriend, have another one from the time I was like 16, but it was the first real relationship because, because of his growth and his insistence that if I wanted to be in a relationship with him, I had to grow. And that's when it started. And the rather instantaneous you know, there's a relief when you're able to put down that aura of perfection and really just be yourself. It's, it's, it's a little addicting. How to, so? To get I want to hear how, I want to hear, I want oh, that, that I'm leaning in. How so? Yeah. Well, because it's awesome, right? You no longer, like I could be me. I could say, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. Actually. What and then the hard work was, well, I think what you just said, but I didn't know what did work for me. And so it required some hard work on my part, but each step forward of being more real, being more in tune with what did work for me and asking for it led to a life that I had never had before, right? I had never had that ability to just say what I thought and ask for what I needed and live in that world. I had always lived in fear of not being the good girl, not being the golden child, perfect child, whatever those things were that we evolved into in order to cope with, you know, our family of origin or, or our issues. And that's the addiction, right? That's, that's, which is, Hey, if you got to have an addiction, go with something that helps you grow and be a better person and get over yourself. I love the the theme of all this because there's, you know, there have been some times where I've had to just like drop that facade of perfection and be really clear about just how imperfect I've been about something. Um, and that's so scary. I remember the first time I had to tell my son, my husband, my current 
has been something that I had just, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember like being in such dread to sit down and tell him, poor guy, I probably burst into tears long before I even got words out of my mouth. He probably thought, thought someone died and it wasn't even a major thing. And he just was like, yeah, not, not that big a deal to me. Don't, don't worry about it. And we went forward, but letting that barrier down of perfection was so hard for me. I was so ingrained in it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's so deep, right? I mean, it goes, it's cellular. I mean, it's deep. And so I, I just love talking to people who have given themselves that grace. I'm going to use the word grace today. We're like, it's okay. It's okay that I'm not perfect because it is so deep. I've observed though, just to circle back that another way that people cope with that not enoughness is procrastinating. I have close friends that, and I've dated men who that's their, how their not enoughness plays out is that they don't even start something. I mean, when you and I start something, we're going to like ravage it. We're going to like, we're going to do this. And we have our strategy and our plan and our, you know, our lists and their not enoughness just causes them to stay stuck and procrastination, which, you know, I can't speak to that, but do you have anyone in your world that you've observed that? with? Oh, I I mean, and it drives you absolutely nuts, but I do want to say, I think both can live in the same person. Cause I will say, I also procrastinate when it comes to certain things. Like if there's something that I'm not particularly wanting to deal with, I have an absolute ability to kick that can down the road to a point where I'm now causing a problem for myself because I've kicked it too far down the road. So I won't, I do think, you know, where, where there's actually an element of perfectionism that does that, right. You know, you know, it's not going to be perfect, you know, so you're just like, so you're avoiding. Yeah. The avoidance aspect of it, but that procrastination in, you know, anyone is, I think, again, that fee, it's a fear-based reaction. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I've really tried to become much more understanding about is that when people have difficult emotions coming out, fear or anger or, or nastiness or aggression, or because I deal with a lot of those emotions as a divorce attorney, I right? Have or, no doubt. I exhibited yeah. all of those during my divorce. It was not. So did I. Right? It was not a <laughs> right? time, no. No, not my most attractive self came out when I was getting divorced, which I think always surprises people because I was a divorce attorney getting divorced. I was a pain in the ass when I got divorced. Um, But I try now to be much more understanding as I've started to understand the dynamic in myself is there's fear under all that. There's fear under that that nastiness. Yeah. Well, you know, there's and, and that it's the not enoughness, right? People going through divorce. Uh, at the core of divorce is rejection. Absolutely. It's also like a rejection of self because clearly I've done something. I've rejected part of myself to get to this place. Yeah. I failed. All those things come out for people and, and there's nothing about any of that that brings out people's best selves. So I think that I call it ostrich syndrome because procrastination in divorce is actually one of the things we see most often because it's just too much to deal with today. It's mm. just, I'm, I'm having a hard enough time getting out of bed and doing what I need to do when people are going through a divorce or any difficult period in, in life. 
And so procrastination is just another defense mechanism, you know, so I see so much of it. I just try to be really tolerant of it while also being the person with the stick who's, Mm -hmm. who's out there beating people into submission, right? Like it's time for you to pay attention to this or do what you need to do. And did you for yourself, like when you're feeling like you're procrastinating, how are you supporting yourself through that fear? What does that look like for you? It stays scary for me, but what I try to do is I I recognize it now. I think awareness is the start of everything. I'm really, Mm -hmm. you know, I say it all the time on my own show. Awareness is the start to fixing anything. And so I do try to be aware when I'm procrastinating. And what I will do is try to take even the smallest step toward moving the the bar forward. Just right. Like I don't put any more pressure on myself than just send one email that it's going to move that bar forward an inch. And that has been actually, and, and it all stems from, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a silly analogy, but that concept came from a podcast episode I did with a professional organizer, Michelle Sorau. And she said, you know, she tells her clients who look at like this room that's a disaster and they're like, they just shut the door and turn around and go, I'll, I'll do that some other day. And she's like, just set aside 15 minutes, pick a drawer and go do that. And I started doing that and getting my life organized and that worked. And so I applied it to this procrastination issue that I have at times and it works. You have to not overwhelm yourself because that's, that's what's stopping you from moving forward in the first place. It's the overwhelm, Mm -hmm. uh, the fear of failure, all those things. So just take that one tiny step. One tiny step. When did you start to say to yourself, Susan, this is good enough? When you started taking that one small step, this is good enough. You know, for me, that's so healing. Like, it's enough. It's good enough. It's very freeing to be able to say that now to myself. It's so freeing. And it's it goes a step further, I think, as to it's good enough and I'm good enough. Absolutely. That's right. what you're really saying. When I you're think saying so. it's good enough. But yeah. when did that start happening for you? You know, when I stepped into the place of accepting that I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty darn good, right? You also do need to accept that about yourself and be able to say it, right? Like the, I think the, and this is maybe not going to sound right. So I'm just going to preface it. Maybe I'm not going to express this correctly, but I'm pretty damn good, right? Like I'm, I do know my stuff. I do try hard to help other people. I do support the people that I love in every way that I can. Am I perfect? God, no, but I am pretty darn good. And that's when, when I could own both sides of that, I'm not perfect, but I am pretty darn good. And I can own that in myself and and like myself for that. And maybe that's the core of it, right? Maybe it's the, you actually have to like yourself. So is that Uh, the comeback for you? Like you have come back to yourself through this acceptance, this I'm enough. I had to, you know, for, I think, and maybe this is another aspect of perfectionism, like, because you know, you're not perfect, you're, there's only, it's black or white, right? You're either perfect or you're horrible. And I think that the middle ground of I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good is where you become free. And that for me is, is where it was. It's okay to own that. I'm good at what I do. I'm, you know, I, I am what I am, but I'm also, you know, 
deficient in these areas. Don't give me a checkbook to balance. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I, I forget to get back to people. Um, you know, the other day I said something out loud that hurt somebody's feelings. I didn't mean to. I didn't even realize I said it out loud. Um, you know, I'm not perfect. And that was for me, that's where I got back to myself. That's where I was able to get over and feeling like I just didn't need to be and didn't need to have every answer to every person. Somebody sent me an email the other day asking for, you know, just sort of my thoughts on a difficult situation for one of their coaching clients. And I actually like got a knot in my stomach because it was a really tough situation. And I finally had to like realize I don't actually know the answer to this. I don't know what to tell. I wish, I think I, or I responded with, I wish I could give you an easy answer, but this is not an easy question. Here are some thoughts, but again, no, no easy answer to this. Um, and, th and that's, that's where that space of, of that was okay. I didn't have to have that answer. I think and that is okay then, that we can lean yeah. into. There are a lot of situations where there is no easy answer or we're never going to get the answer yeah. from someone I mean, else. It has to come from within. Well, in most of life, there's no answer. It's one question after another, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily answer the one before you move on to the next question. So true. I have one last burning question for you. Awesome. When is your memoir coming out? When is your memoir, <laughs> the Susan Guthrie memoir coming out? You know, that's, that's pretty far down the road, I would say. I did just start a book, but it's a mystery novel. I've Ooh. always wanted to write one. And a few years ago in my sleep, I had a dream and it was like a mystery twist plot. And I, it was one of those things I woke up in the middle of the night and wrote the idea down and it's been sitting in a file in my desk forever and I finally decided I'm going to sit down and write that book. So literally like in the last week or so, I started that. So it may be, a, it, you'll be surprised to hear it's it's a attorney, you know, mystery about a female divorce attorney. Oh, that's just shocking. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, write what you know. But, that's what all great writers you know, do. We write what, exactly. what we know. So we'll see how she does. Right now I'm working with some friends. I'm coming up with a name for her. Uh, so that's where I'm at. If you have any good ideas out there for a good name for a female lawyer protagonist, send them over. DM Susan, which leads me to ask, how can the listener find you and learn more about your podcast? The absolute best spot is on the podcast website, divorceandbeyondpod.com. Um, there's all kinds of information on there. It takes you to the YouTube channel, to the podcast itself. And for colleagues out there, I am actually doing training and support for colleagues who want to build a practice they love. Um, and they can find that at mostinguthrie.com. Well, I have so enjoyed this conversation about getting over ourselves. So delicious. Thank you so much. I 100% agree. Thank you so much for having me. That was one of my favorite types of conversations. All of the layers it was so cathartic and rich and honest Thank you, Susan, for being a guest on the podcast. Susan is such a resourceful queen. You have to follow her on social media. So definitely look at the show notes. You'll find the link to her website. You'll find her social media information. And of course, the link to her podcast, Divorce and Beyond. And Susan and I actually, we did a pod swap. So I recently was a guest on her podcast and we talked about one of my favorite topics, the honeymoon stage after divorce. You know, I love to talk about the honeymoon stage. And do you know what else I love? I love sharing a comeback tip with you every week. Say these tips to happiness. 
Perfection, it is such an illusion, isn't it? It just, it keeps you in your head. When all of the authentic living actually happens in your heart. And so my comeback tip for you today is I want you to live more from your heart. Be more in the moment. Enjoy the mess. When you are living more from a heart space and you've put perfection on the shelf, you're going to be okay with choosing to rock the boat, you know, jumping in that muddy puddle. You won't doubt your decision to take that left-sided fork in the road that could lead to fulfilling a passion. And you're going to allow yourself to have sexual partners that are not marriage material, not even close, which is very freeing. When you live more from your heart, you are not concerned about the opinions of others, your friends, family, society, because you're living your authentic truth. You're pursuing what makes you happy. And the best part of living more from your heart is that you're not going to question if you are enough because you already know you are enough and that you've always been. You've got this friend. And remember, it's all leading to your comeback. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and be sure to subscribe, rate, and of course, review the podcast. And I want you to be part of this Life After Divorce community by following me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and TikTok at Sadie's Divorced and Happy. Be sure to also visit my website, divorcedandhappy.net, to download Sadie's 8 Tips to Happiness. You'll also find all of my podcast episodes on my website as well. If you've found value in my podcast, consider being an official sponsor. Email contact at divorcedandhappy.net to learn more about this tasty opportunity. And speaking of tasty, you can also buy me a cup of coffee. It's simple. Just visit buymeacoffee backslash Sadie Marie, and you can buy me a cup or two, and I thank you for your support. I'm your host, Sadie Marie, and I look forward to seeing you next week for another round of content created to kickstart your comeback.